Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. I am your host, Adam. I am joined by a very special guest today, my friend, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Tell me about yourself. Like, who do you root for? Where, where's your sports knowledge at? For all intents and purposes, I am a, I'm a Yankees fan, a New York Giants fan, New York Rangers fan, New York Knicks fan. Obviously, a, a few more of those have fared well f- uh, for me compared to the others. Uh, <laughs> looking at the Knicks. <laughs> Pretty much follow everything, mainly keep up with, you know, what's going on pretty much every major sport. Your New York love, is that because you're from there? Well, I, I grew up in uh, New Jersey, but most of it comes from my dad, because I kind of just latched on to his favorite teams and just kind of stuck on me. A New Yorker out here today. But I thought we'd start off a little hot talking about the college football playoff committee and their selections oh, yes. of the four teams that they chose to be in this year's playoff semifinal. Consensus, I think, Alabama, Clemson, we're all cool with them being in. Like, duh. We all called it at the beginning of the year. But what what do you make of the number three and four being Ohio State, who only played six games, and Notre Dame, who was blown out by Clemson in the ACC title game? Well, I'll start with... Ohio State, and again, I'll look at this objectively. I think if they had played a full season, given the talent they had returning from last year, I think they were probably still going undefeated, if not have a have one loss on them for some random night game, you know, like one of those night Penn State games that they normally play or something like that. I'm not all too disappointed in the third spot. I think Ohio State's a solid team. I, I do think, you know, they're one of the best teams in the country, and I, I do think they deserve to be there. There is that notion that, you know, they did only play six games, but you know, like half of what other teams played. Yeah, of course, the Big Ten did bend the rules, but to the Big Ten's benefit, they they knew what they were doing. They know what's going to be what's best for them in terms of marketing and making them more money, making them look better. You know, they're a very impressive team. Ryan Day is a good coach. As far as the number four spot, year by year, I think the four spot has just kind of become, aside from a couple years, it's really just become the team that's, gonna most likely get blown out take away the first year with ohio state upsetting alabama and the year alabama upset clemson we really don't get much from the 1v4 matchup we're looking at you washington (laughs) as far as notre dame goes look i don't think you should be in the playoff if you are not a conference champion and i don't think that two teams from the same conference should get in when it's only four teams. Notre Dame gets the benefit of the doubt because they're a historic school. They're, they they were good for a long time, a long time ago. As far as today goes, they don't keep up with the other teams like Alabama and Clemson in terms of recruiting and who they have behind their starters. We saw them beat Clemson earlier in the year, which to them that's a you know that's a that's a solid win. That's a great win. But Trevor Lawrence didn't play. In my opinion, if you reverse the roles, say Notre Dame was playing without Ian Book starting, they get blown out 10 times out of 10 in that game. And Clemson, Easily. with their backup, almost won. And kind of should have won. Double overtime, <laughs> it, yeah. It wasn't a it wasn't a blowout. It wasn't it was a close game. And if you're playing against a team's backup quarterback, you need to you need to not only win, you gotta win convincingly. And and they didn't do that. Now, a win is a win, and I'll give them that. And they had a chance to prove that that win wasn't a fluke by playing them again in the ACC champion game. Again, it's a weird year. They're not really an ACC team. They just start for this year. 
hopefully they are at a conference next year because I think it's better for them. They had a chance to, you know, kind of silence us, but they didn't. And they got blown out. And aside from that one touchdown they had towards the end of the game, it was all Clemson the entire time. Now, I don't understand the committee's thinking when it comes to this because let's say for some some miracle, Notre Dame somehow beats Alabama. And let's say Clemson beats Ohio State. We're getting Clemson versus Notre Dame for the third time. And it's just going to go the same way the AC championship went because Clemson's fully healthy. And a fully healthy Notre Dame team is not beating, I don't think, any of these three teams in the playoff. I do agree with most of your points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think Ohio State is a good team. Do I think that six wins is convincing enough to put them ahead of teams that played, I don't know, nine games or 11 games? I honestly don't think so, because a lot can happen when you play three to four more games. Right. So I'm not very convinced that Ohio State deserves that three seed. Now, Would you be more comfortable with them being the four? I mean, okay. So here's where I'm at. I hate seeing old news every year. Like that's how that's how the NBA got stale. Was when it was LeBron versus the Warriors year after year after year. And then this year, I feel like we saw more people tune in because a lot of different teams were in the mix at the end of the year. And that's exciting. That's fun. It keeps it fresh. Here we are at the end of the year, college football. We have the same four teams that we've seen year after year after year. And honestly, this year was the perfect time for them to shake it up. Because you have a pretty weak case for a three seed and a four seed. So at this point, maybe the thinking should be, let's try to mix it up this year. But they weren't going to do that because NCAA, first and foremost, is trying to make money. And... Best way to make money is to put the four most marketable teams in the playoff. Basically what I see their decision-making as being. What I hate in their criteria for the selection committee is the eye test. That is the one criteria that just really grinds my gears. Because that's basically telling us this their subjectivity. They're saying, oh, well, here's all the objective, unbiased measures we're looking at. But the eye test is a big part of it, too. And that's crap. That's just saying, oh, but if we're biased to a certain team, here's why. It's because of the eye test. Get, no. They, no. Yeah. That's the only and way they, you can even remotely describe Ohio State deserving a spot over any other team. is because of the eye test. And it's like, well, if you play half your games, do, are you deserving of that championship semifinal? So honestly, this year, I think they should have thrown a group of five team in. Keep it yeah. fresh. Keep it fun. You know, Cincinnati, why not? Why not put Cincinnati? This was the year to make a statement and say anyone has a chance to make the semifinal. Now, what they did was they gave, they didn't even give Cincinnati a New York Six Bowl, which that's a whole nother thing that as a program like South Carolina, who went two and eight this year, gets to play in a bowl. Cincinnati doesn't even get a New York Six. What honest sense does that make? Yeah, they put Iowa State in a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you put a three-loss team that objectively didn't look that great. And shame on the Big 12. The Big 12 was absolutely garbage this year. <laughs> That's just I think it was the uh, Oklahoma power vacuum that just threw it all into disarray. Yeah, and I mean, you look at Oklahoma, they started to look more like themselves down the stretch. They started to look a lot better defensively. 
those first two games they lost against Iowa State and against Kansas State, I mean, that's that's something they're going to look back at as like, well, you know, if we managed to win at least one of those, we're probably talking about Oklahoma being in the four spot right now instead of Notre Dame. I can't wait for Notre Dame to get blown up by Bama yet again. This year is the perfect reason. One, shouldn't be four teams. And two, this year they should have either made it a two-team final, eight-team tournament. Yeah, yeah because I remember the entire point of the playoff was to avoid a Notre Dame versus Alabama type result where or an LSU we know Notre, where it's the same conference where we know it's like well this team's undefeated it's like yeah but you know just because you're undefeated doesn't mean you're you're that great because you can go undefeated under a weak schedule and of course these ACC teams and SEC teams get a benefit of the doubt because they have quote-unquote tougher opponents in their conference which I don't believe, considering some of the production we've seen from, the, from some of those other programs, especially in the ACC. Miami has not looked like themselves, aside from this year. They got Deer King, a little bit more explosive on offense. Four states, not good. UNC was... A surprise, to say the least. It was a surprise. You know, Mac, Mac Brown's doing a good job there, but... You know, you play like Wake Forest every year. You play Pitt every year. Louisville is a shell of itself. It's not the Lamar Jackson days. They look terrible. The SEC, you got teams like South Carolina, 2-7. and seven. Auburn was terrible this year, too. Vanderbilt was terrible. I mean, there's not... I'm, of course, the big names are going to be decent, but, I mean, even they have bad years, too. And it's just... I, I just don't get how you can say a team from a certain conference the benefit of the doubt. You go back to some of those Big 12 years, back when either 2007 or 2008, when they had like a three-way tie between Oklahoma, UT, and Texas Tech. And at one point, each one of those teams is ranked number one in the country. And then now the stereotype is, oh, well, you know, Big 12 doesn't play defense, all that, blah, blah, blah. There's only one good team. It's like, uh, you're, you're looking at this with blinders on because you're using recency bias. The, the SEC, of course, has won the most national championships probably we can start any date in the last like 10 years. <laughs> but a majority of the SEC success has benefited from Nick Saban and all the recruits he draws in, not just for his own school, but, you know, other recruits that say, well, I want to play against them and beat them. And that helps programs like LSU, Georgia, Florida. Auburn's just a disappointment. I don't get that team at all. It's tough this year because if you want to make an argument against Cincinnati, being put in the four seed, it would be that they didn't play the competition the rest of these teams played. But right. if I'm looking at a strength of a record, and the most plain and dry question you could ask is, who deserves to play for the championship of all of college football? Well, I'm going to look at the strength of that record, right? And if you have some losses, you want to see them against tough opponents, which Notre Dame technically has the best loss, even though that phrase drives me nuts. Absolutely Quality nice. loss. Quality <laughs> loss. That's, that's even so oxymoronic. Give me PTSD. Drives me crazy. But Cincinnati, the quality of their record, they blew almost every team they played at. And they played ranked opponents. So I honestly don't see why the CFP didn't take a gamble this year and say, hey, we've already thrown Notre Dame in there several yeah. times already. They got pummeled by Clemson. And they barely beat Clemson the first time when they had a second-string quarterback who was making his first career start as a true freshman. And then the fact that they put three teams ahead of Cincinnati in their final ranking, and one of those teams was Florida, who lost three games. 
what sense does that make even? It, like this year should should have easily easily been an eight team playoff. It's always made the most sense. You have five major conferences and yeah. three at large bids. So eight is the like the perfect number for a tournament. And that's why so many people tune yeah. in to March Madness. You know, so many different schools competing for that overall title. And that really shows who deserves to win it all, is that resiliency in that tournament time. And this just doesn't feel like the team that's going to win this tournament is the best team in all of, all of college football. Unless it's Alabama or Clemson, I don't truly believe that. Ohio State's a great team this year, don't get me wrong, but they didn't play enough games. They played five games in their regular season. And you're telling me that proves that they're one of the best teams in the country? That doesn't feel like a good representative for the overall scope of being the champion of college football. It also brings into light, you know, for some of these programs, it's like, how do you knew this was important to play the most games possible? How did you not take responsibility for some of these teams where you saw Michigan had to cancel most of the games towards the end of the season because they didn't have scholarship players because of COVID? And... I mean, you I'm know, pretty sure they didn't want to play the rest of the season because they were no, going to they get were gonna, pummeled. <laughs> Ryan, they drew up a game plan to drop at least 60 points on Michigan and make sure that Harbaugh was fired after this game. <laughs> uh, that, of course, didn't, we didn't get to see, which I would have loved. I'm not a Ohio State fan in particular, but I just think Michigan's the most overrated program in the country by far, Oof. aside from Notre Dame. Oof, I know some uh, people who would love to have some words with you right now. <laughs> I mean, you can just they haven't beat Ohio State since Rich Rodriguez, so... <laughs> that's it that's a name <laughs> um, but, uh, it's a sad state for college football when every year you talk about like the committee in terms of well if this happens this is the death of the college football playoff and that's it's kind of been like that since its insurrection you look at the, the first year with baylor tcu and ohio state and you're looking at these three teams okay big 12 shoot himself in the foot making people co-champions even though Baylor had the tiebreaker in any other given situation. And then Ohio State does the committee a favor and just blows out Wisconsin, who I think got blown out on purpose. <laughs> That's, <laughs> Ooh, That's another conspiracy to talk about in order to get in. Now, of course, Ohio State went on and won the national title. Grant, they were, the, they were the most talented team in the country. They had Ezekiel Elliott. They had Michael Thomas. They were on their third-string quarterback who was still dropping dimes and bulldozing people throughout the championship game and all the way <laughs> through the playoff. Uh, Shout-out to Cardale Jones, as Gus Johnson <laughs> likes to say. If you look at this year, given how Notre Dame was an ACC team this year, if somehow they had decided, well, we are going to leave out Ohio State because they only played six games, but we're going to keep Notre Dame in, and then – you know, next up on their list, based on what they had rankings, they had A and M, and then you would have had an SEC ACC invitational, basically, <laughs> which we almost got another year when it was Georgia and Alabama in the same conference playoff. But then it makes other teams around, you know, looks at the other group of five teams. It's like, well, what's the point of it being four teams if you're just going to choose two from the conference you want to pick from, it also brings up the situation of, now, it's not likely this is going to happen, but it is going to happen eventually, where every in every Power 5 conference, a team's going to go undefeated, and they're going to win their conference championship. That is going to be when the we get the death of, I believe, the college football playoff committee, not the playoff in itself. 
I think the playoffs going to expand because they still need the playoff, but the committee is going to shoot themselves in the foot yet again when they have to decide between five teams and four spots and go, oh, well, how come we never accounted for this to happen? Well, everyone else did, considering you have five power five conferences, not power four, <laughs> five. You can't fit five into four unless you expand to eight, which they should have started with, because then you would have had none of these issues we're having right now. No, and then you get the UCF teams and Cincinnati's and the Coastal Carolinas who you're giving these small small programs a chance at the big dogs, and what? that would make things so nuts. Like college football, yes. we would tune in and see like upset specials and be talking about it for years, but they don't get that yeah. chance. They get to play these crap Sugar Bowl games against the – third place team in that conference it, it just does them such such a disservice to these smaller teams and honestly it should all it should have always been eight but this year i honestly think it should have been back to bcs like we should have literally just be watching alabama clemson i don't think ohio state or notre dame have a claim to the national title i feel like neither ohio state nor notre dame have proven to me that they deserve to be called national champions no, and I think especially with Ohio State's performance in the Big Ten championship game, they didn't look <clears throat> they don't look as good as they did last year. Last year I thought they were gonna win. And they, they had a close game with Clemson, the game they, they, they really should have won. They had a lot of scoring chances in the beginning, the settle for field goals. I don't think either of those teams beat that perfect LSU team though. L S U team something that I mean, that offense was just absolutely ridiculous. That's, I mean, they had 20, 20 draft picks on both sides yeah. of the ball or something insane like that. So Yeah, and I mean, hey, Clemson, Clemson helped with them for the first half, but, you know, once they started attacking them with deep balls after deep ball and Joe Burrow was just dropping bombs everywhere, just like they'd done all year, they embarrassed teams, they embarrassed Oklahoma, they kind of had to say some grace for Clemson by not blowing them out too bad. But it, it's just a weird year. There's a Twitter account that uh, we'll look at the BCS rankings based on how they interpreted data and got their teams out compared to committee. And this year they, they had the same 14, which then begged the question of, well, well what's the point of the committee? Why don't we have a committee? If <laughs> the BCS, you. the issue that I had with it was that I didn't remember people clamoring to get rid of the computers. I just thought we were all agreeing that, yeah, it needs to be more than two teams. So we don't get these lame ass national championship games like Alabama Notre Dame or that LSU Alabama game that I'm sorry it was that game was bad game of I the century oh my people Lord. like defense but <laughs> that game was field goals I don't want to watch field goals I don't watch touchdowns and back then they couldn't score nope I definitely think CFP got it wrong I'm glad you agree there I I feel like we needed a, a human override of the computer and then that would have been a better system but Four teams, five conferences, square peg, round hole. We'll move on to our next topic. Describe how you are a New York Knicks fan. And I thought, let's do a little bit of an NBA season preview since games are just now starting up around Christmas time. We're seeing a lot of different superstars in different jerseys. And it's kind of a fresh take. We're seeing like Russell Westbrook in a Wizards jersey. We're seeing Kevin Durant and Kyrie playing for the Nets. It felt like the NBA just hit a really hard reset after the three straight Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Cavs. And then they were like, all right, tired of it. Hard reset. Everyone went everywhere. 
Kawhi went to a different team, LeBron went to a different team, and then we just had this huge rebalancing act that was last year, and I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, we're seeing like the sun, the rise of the Suns, who just got a Chris Paul to play along with Devin Booker. So I guess I just want to talk about your perspective on what you're expecting, I guess maybe from your team, from the league. What, what do you see from this upcoming NBA season? I think it's going to be a very fun year. This is, quite honestly, I think the most balanced the NBA has ever been and ever will be. Because um, I think we are going to get back to a point where I think super teams are going to be a thing again. I don't know when. Depends on if this James Harden trade ever happens. And if he winds <laughs> up going to, if he does wind up going to the Nets, then congratulations. We'll see you in the finals. Good luck who's ever in the West, even though I don't think they would be that good of a team when it came down to clutch time, given the makeup of that team, if he was on there. But uh, yeah, it's 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 fun, I think. Uh, you know, John Wall gets fresh start in Houston. Uh, like you said, Westbrook gets a fresh start in Washington. I'm most interested to see, you know, how the Lakers are going to respond this year. They only got about like 70 days off as an offseason since they won the title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, them and the Heat are probably just gassed to start this season. I mean, they both started their seasons off with losses, too. And... I feel like that exhaustion is definitely going to factor into the first like good portion of the season, probably the like first half. So what what are you expecting from uh, your uh, New York Knicks? I know you are very outspoken about your uh, NBA team. Just that playoff team back in 2013, you know, they were a two seed. Man, that's they throwing were, back. They were two games away from a conference finals in a series they really should have won. Um, ever since then, they've been sucking this rut of, okay, well, here we have a new head coach. We get through a full year. We get, we get 20 games in the next season. He gets fired. New coach. 20 games in the next season, gets fired. Phil Jackson happens. It doesn't work out. Then this year, they, they go out. They get their guy in Tom Thibodeau, a guy who's wanted to be coaching the Knicks probably for a while. It's a really interesting team this year because I think R.J. Barrett, didn't really get a good... He didn't really find himself last year. He showed flashes. This preseason, he showed, you know, what he's capable of. And then tonight, he had a solid performance. I think he had like 26, 8, and 5, which if that's what he's going to wind up being, I, that's absolutely perfect. They've, they, they haven't had a player do something like that in a while consistently. Now, I have to see it night in and night out to be happy, but what I saw preseason and today, you know, looked good. I think they're going to be a fun team this year in terms of when they start to take those events out of the starting lineup and put in those rookies. Emmanuel quickly looked great in preseason. I'm excited for Obi Toppin. The progression of Mitchell Robinson, is he going to turn that corner? He's he's been he's been the, he's been a a cornerstone for the last couple of years defensively, but I need to see that evolution offensively. They're going to wind up with a lottery pick again. I just don't know where it's going to be, if it's going to be top three, or it's going to be... You talk about a team that has no lottery luck at all, which... <laughs> I was about to ask, just, uh, how salty uh, were you when you uh, lost out on Zion? That one hurt the most because the Knicks that year, they were the worst team in the NBA. To me, I don't understand... You know, Obviously, tanking is bad, but teams can still tank with the lottery system. The 76ers didn't care. They tanked for years. Mm-hmm. They're a playoff team now because it works. <laughs> it does, well, I it's mean, not good. When the lottery system was brand new, you know who benefited from that? It was the Knicks. It was the Knicks, yeah. Patrick Ewing. Yeah, they the got famous, Patrick Ewing. The famous conspiracy rigging of the lottery right. system. 
But here's here's the thing, Adam. If if it was if the NBA is actually rigged, the Knicks would be in every conference finals every single year because <laughs> they, they they're the most valuable franchise in the NBA, which is bonkers when you look at their record. Because <laughs> they're that absolutely garbage. Mm-hmm. They've been garbage. They treated Carmelo Anthony like dirt, which I don't understand why. He's the best player you've had in a decade that even wanted to come play here. He's the only guy in the last 10 years that actually wanted to come play there. You know, you look at the Porzingis saga. Porzingis obviously didn't stay healthy, but he didn't want to stay here. And that says something when you have a solid rookie, you have a guy that looks like he's going to be something, and he goes, and he tells free agents not to come here because he's not going to be there. He doesn't, he, he's going to demand a trade or he's going to sign somewhere else. I, I just don't get it. They got a new president. Every year, every year, Knicks fans go, okay, well, maybe this is going to be different. And this time it kind of does feel different with some of the things they've said. I'm not real comfortable with Scott Perry still being there as a GM. I think when you make a shakeup as far as the front office goes, I think one if if a one big piece has to go, they all have to go. So you're all for hitting the nuke then. I, I am, because I'm sorry. you th- None of those people in that front office deserve any benefit of the doubt. Steve Mills was bad. I mean, Scott Perry's been all right with drafting. They've, they've gotten some, some good second-round production. One thing they do have going for them that is important is in this upcoming, in, in next year's draft, the 2021 draft has a potential to be quote-unquote, generational, named by some articles that say that I've read every year. Uh, <laughs> a, uh, there is a plethora of talent that's about to come in next year. Uh, you look at Kate Cunningham, Oklahoma State, best point guard in the country, most likely will be a number one overall pick as of right now. Granted, things change. Oh, yeah. Pretty early. Pretty you early. look at, uh, <laughs> i.e. Julia Okafor. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. But the Knicks, next next draft, you have two first-round draft picks. They also have two projected high second-round draft picks, which you may not think about as much of right now, but when it comes to, hey, if this team turns out to be like, oh, we got some players on this team, well, hey, well, we can use those two first-round, those two uh, second-round draft picks, move up again in the first round, maybe get another guy, or package those picks all together for another star, they might have something going. I'm going to set my expectations of that's not going to happen, so I don't get disappointed, even though I still will. That's the life of being in this man. It's just disappointment. Every now and then, we get those, uh, you know, worldwide world tweets where he plays the New York Knicks or back song, and, you know, I get excited, but then I go, well, next week, you're just going to get blown out 20 times, and we'll be right back to square one. But it's it's just tough. It just sounds like a vicious cycle, honestly. I am a fan of the San Antonio Spurs, and I don't know. It's been a little rough just because my whole life, we've all, they've always been that rock. If all of your teams are bad across all sports, you always had the San Antonio Spurs to rely on. And then all that drama with Kawhi, and now they're just kind of a you know, an okay team that maybe scooches into the eight seed at the end of the year. They have aging veterans of Marcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan who are superstars, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, they're not guys that are going to bring you a title. They're not Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. I, I went a couple years watching very minimal basketball because I was very sick and tired of the same narrative over and over. It, it's becoming fresh. It's something that the college football needs to follow suit. You see all these different NBA teams rising, and that's great to see. It's great to see new faces, new teams, and CFP would just throw out the same four teams every single year, um, just interchange, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma for the four seed, but we talked enough about that. 
<laughs> yeah, I am really excited to watch this year. Um, a team that I think be under the radar is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, they have two really young guards in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton who can each put up like 20-plus points a night. And I think they're going to be a very fast team. I mean, they still have Kevin Love. He's a shell of what he used to be just from injuries and age. But he's still a, a great player on his own. So I, I think that's going to be a pretty exciting team that we're not going to talk about a lot until they start putting some wins together. And I'm going to eat my words when they go on like a 10-game losing streak. But I think they got a lot of promise just from their young backcourt. I think for dark horses, I mean, this team is not really, the one that I'm going to mention, it's not really much of a dark horse because they did almost, the one player did almost will them into the playoffs last year. And I think they improved a lot, uh, especially with the trades they just made with Milwaukee. And in terms of, you know, what they kept around, uh, I think the I think the New Orleans Pelicans are going to mm-hmm. be a playoff team this year because they're going to get a full year of Zion. They got Brandon Ingram back. He looks lights out. That's going to be a fun team. They got Steven Adams from the Thunder. I mean, they had to get a, get rid of Drew Holiday, which I think is a bit of a downgrade getting right. Eric Bledsoe. But I mean, they still got solid pieces, especially around a young core. Um, and hey, that's where Lonzo is, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could, he still has room to grow. Um, he's not he's not done perfecting his craft yet, I don't think. But yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. One question: It's easy to talk about like who's going to win MVP. I think because that's it's usually just like that top echelon of players. But who do you think wins Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the Year. That's a tough question. I think it's really going to be whatever team's going to use their guy the most. <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't really know what to make of Anthony Edwards. I really didn't watch him play on Georgia. I think he's going to be a great piece for the T Wolves. I mean, he's. I think he is. He's he is the kind of guard that is going to facilitate D'Angelo Russell. I feel like he's that perfect pairing for him. I'm going to go with. I will. <sighs> I'm 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 picking between I I think it's gonna be either James Wiseman or it's gonna be Lamelo Ball. Just I th- I know the Warriors they already they're already starting Wiseman. He's gonna get a lot of minutes. Curry's gonna feed him the ball down low a lot. You know he 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 fits in that offense. And then of course you know we get the ridiculous passes from Lamelo Ball. So it's really a toss up this year. I would like to see. Obi Toppin's name in there, but I don't <laughs> think he's gonna be playing. I don't think he's gonna be playing significant minutes. Just given Tom Thibodeau's track record, if he does work his way into the starting lineup, which I think he will, I think he has a shot. He's very explosive offensively. It's his defense that's going to keep him out of the lineup. But if he can get in there, I think he does have a decent shot. He's gonna he's gonna score. He's gonna put up flashy plays. But I think that it's just not going to be enough compared to what Wiseman's going to do on the Warriors or what Lamelo's going to do with the load he has on the Hornets. Um. I mean, they're pretty stacked on on point guard in Charlotte. So it's kind of interesting. They signed Terry Rozier to a giant extension. They just got Gordon Hayward to play possibly in that backcourt as well. Devontae Graham, pretty solid player from Kansas. I think Lamelo doesn't, might not find the minutes that a, a rookie of the year might come out and just blow up on the scene. But I feel like this year is kind of different than most years because we actually have like a solid understanding of what players we expect to blow up. I feel like this year there wasn't any guy really that was like, he's the next fill in the blank. I feel like this draft didn't have any of those 
you know, Luka Doncic's or Trey Young's or Zion Williamson. I feel like it, this is a very average draft. One we're not going to really those draft right look back on. There's another one to look back on. I think it's the one, it was the year Anthony Bennett went number one overall. <laughs> and that draft, Oof. aside from Victor Oladipo, not that great. <laughs> really not that great. Shifting gears into the MLB offseason. I, I love the hot stove. The MLB hot stove is just wealth of rumors. It when I turn my phone on, that's that's what I'm looking for. Big free agents that hit the market this year. Should be exciting to see. Once a couple signings that we've already seen are James McCann, catcher, go to the Mets, which is interesting because the Mets just recently got bought by Steve Cohen for two point four billion dollars. I feel like they have a lot of cash to splash around with. And they're rumored to a lot of top free agents because they're they're I think they're ready to go all in on this free agent class. So we're just going to break down some of these free agents and maybe possible destinations. One of the best pitchers that hit the market is coming off a Cy Young winning season. Uh, famous YouTuber Trevor Bauer. <laughs> Where do you see him fitting in? Because based on his Twitter and YouTube, kind of been made this running joke of he's willing to entertain any and all offers for any amount of money. So where do you think he lands? Normally athletes give us a, uh, they give us hints about where they're going. This guy's given us nothing whatsoever. He has put on every single hat of every single team. He's on Twitter. He's talking about like, oh, hey, Yankee fans, it's like he could use another pitcher. Or hey, Angels, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's such an unpredictable personality that it's really hard to pinpoint where he's going to wind up. I think in terms of fits, obviously he fits, he, he pretty much fits on every team that wants him. I know he'd fit great in the Yankees, right behind Garrett Cole. I don't think that's going to happen. That'd be I don't an think expensive duo. Oh my God. It would be an expensive duo. And I, I don't think they want to invest that much in their pitching staff outside of Garrett Cole, which is sad because as we all know, pitching wins championships. We've seen it happen. I think you're going to lean more towards a team that missed out on Garrett Cole last year. And that's going to be where I think Bauer winds up is the Los Angeles Angels. They have the money. They have the want. He did go to UCLA. He's a California guy. They do need him. Uh, I don't think Otani's going to be pitching that much longer, given his arm. He's probably going to wind up just sticking to hitting, which is kind of sad because it's it's exciting watching a guy that can hit well, also pitch well. But that's a team that's going to need that number one ace, that number one starter. And for a team that wants to contend, they really need it the most, especially for a team that has Mike Trout on it. Yeah, they need to get Mike Trout in the playoffs. For the love of God, (laughs) get Mike Trout to the playoffs. It's been there once, man, and that was against a, a Kansas City team that couldn't lose. <laughs> I also think the Mets are going to be big players into the Bauer sweepstakes because they're, they're starting to lose their rotation a little bit. Struggling with injuries with Cindergaard, DeGrom's being lights out as always, but he gets zero run support, which I think they're destined to fix in this offseason. I, I feel like the Mets, they're on a Chelsea-type spending spree right now, so... I think they're definitely going to be in play for him, but I also do see him ending up in L.A., but I see him ending up with the Dodgers because <laughs> if for some reason the Dodgers feel like they're endless wealth of money, uh, they did lose a ton this year just from not having fans in the stadium, and I think that this puts them in range for another title yet again. I mean, Kershaw is getting older, and... Why not give him more help? Someone to eat up 200 plus innings, 
coming off that side young. I mean, every year he's been in the pros, he feels like I feel like he's just been getting better and better with mm-hmm. his command and where he's been able to spot his pitches. As it's much as I'd hate to say it, I feel like the Dodgers are just going to pick him up, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens. That's a deadly trio out there. You got Bauer, Bueller, and Kershaw. Oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. That's a seven-game series? Yeah, that's the rotation you want. Mm-hmm. Another starting pitcher that signed with my Atlanta Braves, Charlie Morton. I'm excited to see that because I feel like they've needed somebody, not who just eats innings, but will give you quality starts. And I think Charlie Morton is at ageless wonder at 37 years old can still sling the ball 98 miles an hour i'm excited to see that because they tried signing cole hamels last year and then he tore his shoulder beyond belief two three days after they announced the signing so i'm excited to see what charlie morton brings to the table as well they got some studs on that rotation already max freed you had morton that mix a veteran who can you know help him out in situations and teach him but soroka coming off his acl tear who he has ace type stuff um, he just needs to stay healthy, please. Yeah, the Braves just—they're just gonna suffer from that Atlanta sports brand of they're just gonna blow leads. And obviously, you saw it last year. You saw it this past postseason with a three-one lead over the Dodgers. Yeah, and... I, I blame myself for that. I did announce on the podcast that they would be moving on to the World Series, and I'm amazing at hexing teams. So that I'm, I'm going to blame that on me. I don't blame the Braves at all. I blame their bullpen a little bit and i think that needs work a lot of work please please sign some relief pitching arms you have good starters now Uh, some other free agents that are available uh george springer we got center fielder who's played his whole career with the astros after the scandal came out everyone was questioning to see if still hit as well with all the eyes on them on you know tipping pitches and he i mean he had a pretty decent season this past year i mean he's always been kind of their staple leadoff center fielder who's got a lot of pop in his back. So uh, where do you see him fitting out? I think the Mets are going to be big contenders for him. As you said earlier, they need, they need to get, they need to address run support for DeGrom before he. (laughs) Just for DeGrom. Seriously. Pretty much just for DeGrom. That's the only picture they never hit for. And if you have a lot of hitters on your team and you can pull stuff together and you can, you can win games. The rumor right now is obviously the big one's the Mets, but another one that's surprising is the Toronto Blue Jays. I wouldn't bet on him going there. I I, I lean more towards the Mets. I don't think we've heard anything with him regards and going back to Houston at all. I don't think they have the money to. They're they're on long term extensions from a lot of their uh, World Series team. I think they chose Correa over Springer. At the end of the day, that was their choice. I think that's a I think that was a mistake by Houston. I think George Springer is better baseball player than Carlos Correa. I think based on the past, he's been able to stay healthier. Correa has always struggled pretty much year after year with injury. But if you're investing a multi-year contract with a lot of money, it's easier to go for an infielder than an outfielder. You see that outfielders dip a lot quicker, but they are in the American League. So I do kind of question that aspect of it, but having that lockdown shortstop I mean that's a that's a hot commodity in this league. Is if you can have a shortstop that also hits, that's pretty rare. And I think they want to hold on to that kind of rare asset. I do have to agree with you. I think Mets will be the big spenders on Springer. I feel like we could honestly just say Mets for every single player on this list. They've always been in that middle tier. It's like on the cusp of being something. Even that World Series run that they made against the Roy- can't beat Royals. It just felt like felt like they were still missing something to get over that hump. 
and then they just hit a white-hot team at the wrong time. And I do think the Blue Jays, though, they have a lot of young up-and-comers, and they were able to get some starting pitching last year in Hyunjin Ryu. They're on up-and-up, so I wouldn't be surprised to hear from the Blue Jays as well. Keeping it in the AL East, Yankees just recently had a qualifying offer declined by DJ LeMayu, who's since go- moving from Colorado to New York, has been a hitting like an AL MVP candidate. You think he ends back up in New York, or you see him elsewhere? Listen, bottom line is, Yankees want him to stay there. DJ himself has said he wants to stay there. I think they're going to get it done. I It's it's taking a little bit longer than I think fans have anticipated. Uh, I think they're, the disagreement right now is the extra year. LeMahieu wants five years. The Yankees are offering him four. Um, but there's a simple solution to that. You just... Put in a player option for the fifth year and then see how well that goes and see if you want to keep him or not. Because then he can say or he can't, depending on if he wants to keep playing there. I think it's going to happen. I think Hal Steinbrenner is just going to at one point, you know, say, <laughs> okay, well, we want him back. We really don't want to lose him to the Mets or to the Blue Jays, especially to an inter either. They don't want to see him go across town. They don't want to see him go to a team in the division. I think they got to they gotta prevent that from happening. I think they will concerned about the time that it's taking the more time you hold out the more likely you receive that fifth year so last on our list we have the hard-hitting amazing defender jt real muto and i think a precedent was sent with the multi-year extension that james mccann got who i mean going into this offseason it was like real muto and then mccann those were like the one two best catchers on the market and so McCann signs a big money deal with the Mets. I think Real Muto is about to get an even larger contract uh, with some lucky team. I don't see a team who wouldn't want to have someone like him. I mean, he's such a good hitter for a position that is notorious for terrible hitting. The Phillies are definitely going to have to try to get him back. Uh, their lineup, I feel like, without him, just looking at it, is so weak. And... I mean, they, they just had a recent GM hiring and Sam Fold, former outfielder. I feel like Real Muto is just, he, he was that that punch at, in their middle of their lineup with Harper that they really need. So I think they're going to give him as much as he's asking for as well. Kind of the same way LeMayu is. But um, I could also see a surprise. I don't think any rumor has even surfaced about this team contacting him. But the Angels solidify that lineup get some more help, get Trout into the playoffs. The Angels, the Angels sounds like a good fit. I don't think Philly is going to let him go anywhere. I think they're going to offer him a lot of money. They really can't afford to let this Bryce Harper deal flop. They spent a lot of money on Bryce. You know, he's going to be the cornerstone of that offense. But you need guys around him who can hit, otherwise they're never going to pitch to Bryce. Real Muto is that guy. But again, you know, if the Angels want to spend, they want to outspend. They could easily outspend the Phillies. They've, they've got the money. It's just a matter of you know, where he wants to go. A fresh start in L.A. doesn't sound that bad as compared to going back to Philadelphia, but we don't know if he's comfortable in Philadelphia. We don't know if he wants to stay in Philadelphia. It's it's a weird market because, like you said, he he is a commodity, the catcher position that, that doesn't hit well. You know, I look at, you know, look at playoff teams. It's who out of those would want to spend money on him when they already get production from everywhere else. And I that's, it kind of drives home that, reasoning of I think he's going to go to a non-playoff team 
which the Phillies are, which the Angels are. You know a team that just recently lost their veteran? The St. Louis Cardinals. Oh. Uh, I, th- I feel like that move would make a lot of sense. I mean, they want to bring back Yad- Yadier Molina, who's 38 years old, but he was dead set on hitting the open market. So I'd take the upgrade if I were them. Yeah, he'd be a great fit on the Cardinals. Damn, I can't believe they're not going to – yeah, Yadier Molina's not going to be back on that. That's yeah, hard that, to believe. That's really, it's going to be really strange. It's going to be like when Tony Parker was in a Hornets jersey. It's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much for stopping by. Always great talking sports with you. It's awesome that this is the first time that's been recorded. I know. I had a great time. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you have anything to plug? Yeah, check out my uh, my friend's stream. He's trying to become a small he's a small time streamer right now. Twitch.tv slash Bumbleton Delight. Be sure to support. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next time. 